Welcome to the third week in our Crazy Maker series. And if you're just tuning in today for the first time, what we are looking at during this season as we approach Lent and Easter and Holy Week and all that kind of stuff is we are looking at the crazy makers in our lives because what we agreed together is that none of us want to end up at the most important spiritual time of year thinking about others or relationships that are broken. Because when our relationships with one another aren't right, then our relationship with God isn't going to be right either. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to a state of relational health. And we're looking at the crazy makers in our lives and the things that the people around us who make us crazy, the things that they do. But more importantly, we're looking at the way we should respond to them and we should handle those things so that we don't allow the crazy makers to make us crazy anymore. Today's topic is going to be about resolving conflict and we're going to talk about a topic that is so important and it is so important because we live in a world where conflict abounds left and right and unfortunately we've gotten too used to it to even recognize that we kind of become desensitized to it you got nations in conflict with nations all the time you got families in conflict with one another you got even within a city, can you imagine what it would look like if there's a city, an important city in the world that is conflicted within itself and that can't seem to get anything on anyone on the same page and everyone is fighting with everyone. What happens in that situation is everybody loses. Nobody likes conflict and everybody loses when there's unresolved conflict in the world. Not only is it something where the whole world loses, but it's one of the causes, the greatest causes of stress in life. That relationship that, what happens if I see him? And then you start planning. Well, if I see him, I'm going to say this. And I'm going to make sure I don't say that. Like just that mental energy that it takes to deal with the unresolved conflicts in our lives, what I'm going to do in my strategy and all that kind of stuff, it sucks the life right out of you. So what we need to do is figure out how we can address it. Now, here's the problem that I realized, especially after I became a priest is that we were never taught how to resolve conflict, right? Like there's no class in school of how to resolve conflict. Of all the dumb things that we learn when we're in school, here's something that is very useful that every one of us needs to know and can greatly add to the quality of your life how to resolve conflict, not how to remove conflict. Because removing conflict, the only way you do that is to remove people, right? And we're not talking about removing conflict, but we're talking about a biblical approach to how do we not allow the conflicts to escalate and escalate and escalate? Because nine out of ten times what happens is the same thing. It's something small, and it's something that could be resolved easily if we understood a proper way to resolve conflict. But because we don't, it doesn't end there. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we get to this point, and then we start to um, think about how we're going to approach it. But by this time, the problem is it's more than just an issue. It was an issue, but now it's become personal. Now there's emotions involved. Now there's stuff that you said or that she said. Now there's stuff that you threw or that she threw. And now all of a sudden, we have to clean up all that other mess. And by the time we clean up that, then by the time we get down to that root issue, like I said, we've sucked the life right out of ourselves. And unfortunately, oftentimes out of our relationship. How many times, and if you're married, the answer is all the time. You fight a big fight about the dumbest thing and you can't even remember what it is. Does that happen to you married people? Let's say, or anybody, raise your hand if over the past year you've gotten into a fight with someone, a brother, sister, mother, a spouse, 
a child, a friend, and at a certain point in time, it became, and it was the dumbest thing in the whole wide world over the past year. Raise your hand. Everyone's raised it. Okay, how about this? Let's, let's have a little fun with this. Over the past three months. All right, here we go. Over the, I'm keeping my hand up too. Don't worry, I'm married too, okay? Over the past month, this morning on the way to church. <laughs> All right, put your hands down. Put your hands down. Mental note, we'll go talk to you guys afterwards. Come see me afterwards. Look, the problem is not the problem. The problem is we don't know how to resolve the problem. The problem is not the problem. The problem is nothing. The problem is the dumbest thing in the whole wide world. But the problem is because we don't know how to address it in a proper manner, in a biblical, godly, Proverbs kind of manner, then we let this become all this and as I begin this, I want to like throw a, throw a shot out there. And I want you to think what the world would look like if we all knew how to resolve conflict according to God's plan. Like what world would look like if people could sit down, discuss, and resolve conflict? What would the Middle East look like? What would Washington, D.C. look like? What would your family look like? What would your friends look like, your circle? What would your marriage look like? I believe all those things are possible. I believe that, that's heaven, right? That's what heaven is. And I believe all those things are possible for us because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And there's no reason for us to say that we can't have harmony and we can't have peace and we can't resolve these conflicts, even the ones that have been bugging us for years. Like, let's throw it out there, and we may not reach that bar, but let's see how close we can get to that bar in our families, in our marriages, in our friendship. If you're in a position that you can affect Washington, D.C., go for it, man. You can affect the Middle East, more power to you. Let's see if we approach it in a godly way what the world would look like. You know, sometimes I think to myself, like, we're all going to go to heaven, right? We're all going to go to heaven one day. We're all going to be up in heaven. And there's no fighting in heaven. But sometimes I wonder to myself, what's it going to look like? Like, how can people who can't resolve, like, how are we going to be up there? Like, if we can't hear, like, what's it going to look like? Is, am I going to be in my corner? You're going to be in your corner? And, like, you don't cross that line, and I made a little line, and the Democrats on the right and the Republicans on the left? Like, is that, what's it going to look like? We need to start to experience heaven on earth and be able to take steps forward in the process. Our key thought for today is going to be Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And I love, I love the honesty of the Bible and the practicalness of the Bible when it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What do I love about this? It is very honest and it is very realistic. Because it doesn't just say the last part. Live peaceably with all men. It doesn't say that. Sometimes we think that's what it says, but that's not what it says. It says, if it's possible, as much as depends on you. So what the Bible is doing right there is showing us that I understand there are going to be some people that you cannot live at peace with. I understand it. There's going to be some people that no matter how much you try, how much you, you, you try to reconcile, you try to support, you try to love, you try to be there, you try to make up, you try to apologize. Some people just can't. You know what those people are called? Crazy makers. Exactly. That's the point of the series that we're talking about. Those people are called crazy makers. And the Bible acknowledges that reality. Now, with that said, it also says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. So two things we're going to learn from that. 
we're going to learn, one, that we are not going to be quick to say, yeah, yeah, can't live at peace with that person. You can't. You can't. Like, if you're quick to say, okay, that verse means I ain't getting along with him, 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 or her. It's only after you've exhausted every possible means. And even then, after you've exhausted every possible means, what it says is, as much as depends on you, meaning that when you two stand before God, and God says, kids, how come you weren't sharing? How come you weren't playing nicely? That that person will not be able to accuse you of anything. Because as much, I'm going to stand before God, and in front of God, I did my part, and it's going to be between them and God, that's between them and God. But it isn't going to be between me and God. I'm going to make every effort possible. We're going to talk about what that means specifically. I'll make every effort possible to make peace. And if in the end there's no peace, my conscience will be clean. I will sleep easy at night knowing that as, if it was possible, I'd have found that way because I did everything that I could. But with that said, like I said, there's going to be some people that you ain't going to find peace with. Some people who no matter how much you try, some people, you will never be able to please them. But those people are not going to stop us from pursuing peace with the other 95% of the world. The 5% that we can't please are not going to stop us from pursuing peace with the other 95% of the world. Another verse from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. St. Paul says, pursue peace with all people. Later on in this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, he says why it's so important to have peace with all people. He says, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause you to fall short of the grace of God. And he says about all the negative ramifications if you do not pursue peace with all people. Here is why is peace with all people so important. Here's our main idea for today. Unresolved conflict is the greatest hindrance to my relationship with God. Did you know that? Unresolved conflict. And again, I'm, conflict is different than unresolved conflict. So I'm not, I'm not against conflict. Unresolved conflict is the greatest hindrance to my relationship with God. Now you'd say, no, it's not. Sin is. And I tell you, you will sin, you will fall, you will pray, you will repent, God will forgive you, and everything will be fine. And you'll move right back. Move, keep moving. And you'll sin again, you'll repent, everything will be fine. You'll sin, you'll repent, everything will be fine. That stuff, sin is speed bumps. But you know what stops us? When I stand to pray, and all I'm thinking about is that guy. And what I hate about that guy. That guy. That's a hindrance. And then I go, and I want my family to be spiritual, but because she's in my family, I don't want to, and I can't. And that becomes a hindrance. And then I go to church, and I have to stand next to that lady in church, and God knows that I hate that lady's guts, and what she said about my kid, and I said about her kid, and this kind of stuff about this kid, and I stand next to her, and I'm praying, and Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy on you. <laughs> it becomes a hindrance to our relationship with God more than anything else. And that's why, like I said, that's why we're doing this series now before Easter and before Holy Week. Because I, I don't want to stand in front of the cross of Christ and make sure that I'm not standing next to so-and-so. I don't want to see where he, she's standing so that I go to the other side. Like, I want to stand at the cross, and I don't want to be thinking about the people. I want to stand in front of the tomb, and I don't want to be worried about, is this person going to stand next to me, or I don't want to avoid them, and what am I going to say? I don't want to be thinking about that stuff. I don't want any blocks between me and God. Unresolved conflict will always block your relationship with God. What it says here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not 
love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You know what? You know why Jesus connected? Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're not separate. They're the same. You know why they're connected? Because we do not live in a bubble. We do not live in a vacuum, which is my relationship with God here in this little bubble and my relationship with the rest of the world is something completely different. It's not. Get rid of that mind. Get rid of that, 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 that separating and compartmentalizing your life. Your life in Christ encompasses your whole life. And there needs to be harmony. Y'all know what harmony means? Musical people know what harmony means. It means that everything needs to be working. Even if they're not exactly the same, they need to be in harmony with each other. And there needs to be like cohesion between them. It can't be my relationship with God is up, my relationship with man is down. It can't be. There's lack of harmony there. Just like in your house. Think about it if you grew up in your house. I can't have a fantastic relationship with my mom and have a horrible relationship with my dad and they love each other and I hate one. And I, like it, just, it doesn't work like that. The family has to be in harmony, all right, in order for it to be fulfilling God's plan. The church needs to be in harmony. Your marriage needs to be in harmony. Your relationships, your, your circle needs to be in harmony in order for you to have a relationship with God. Look at a simple example. You drive to church, a common example for many families, and apparently one right over there, okay? You drive to church, and you fight in the car, and I hate you, and you hate me, and I hate your mom, and you hate my mom, and everyone hates everyone. Then you just stand to church and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Like, you just stand to church, and we love you. Like, it doesn't work. Does it work? How many Sunday morning worships were destroyed by the drive over? by the drive over, or by something on Saturday, or by something on Facebook. Look, I thought about this, and I'm going to say this carefully, and I'll say it in front of my wife. The day that I fight with my wife, and then I go stand in front of God, and it has no effect on my relationship with God, that's a bad day. That's a sad, sad, sad day. Either there's a serious problem here, or there's a serious problem here. The day that I can hate my brother and feel like everything is fine between me and God. Either something is seriously broken here or something is seriously broken right here. That's not a good day. If you say that it has no effect on your relationship with God, I ask you, are you sure you're worshiping the right God? Because the true God says, no, it has a big effect. And you cannot hate him and love me. And if you say you hate him, and we're going to see some verses later, saying, I don't even want you, don't tell me you love me. Go away. Leave, leave the church even. Go reconcile, then come back to the church. This is why this skill of conflict resolution is so important. Because in the end, what's at stake is your relationship with God. Your closeness with your Father in heaven is connected to your ability to love the brotherhood and to resolve the inevitable conflicts that come up. We need two things today. We need a strategy, and then we need steps. What's the difference? We need a strategy. We need, before we go out to the practical, we need like to adopt a mindset. And this mindset, this will be our motto, our credo. This will be what we live by. This will be our attitude. And then we will go out, and we will practice it in five practical steps. But before I get to the practical, I want to get to the mindset, the strategy. And I can summarize the strategy by one sentence. 
And if you do this, I promise you, you will resolve 90% of conflict resolution is the attitude of the mind and is the mindset that you take. And here's the attitude that you need. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. As I say, conflict resolution, take the initiative. There is an inaudible groaning of so many hearts of no, 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 no. He's the crazy maker. He should come talk to me. I ain't going to talk to him. She's the one who's nuts. She should come and apologize to me. He's the one who started it. She's the one who wrote this on her wall first. They're the ones who come to me, and they should be taking the initiative because I tried, and I tried, and I tried. No, I ain't taking the initiative. Go slow with me, okay? Don't tune me out yet. Don't tune me out yet. Because when I say take the initiative, I mean be the peacemaker. I don't mean necessarily go apologize. I may mean that, and that may mean the step of initiative that you need to take, but not necessarily. Take the initiative doesn't mean I just go and say I'm sorry for everything. What take the initiative means is, it means that I realize this is my problem. It's not just their problem. I have a problem. And I'm not just going to be content to say, oh, well. Oh, well. I have a responsibility here. And I have to do, if it is possible, as much as depends on me, anything I can to live at peace with all people. What a peacemaker means, see, here's the thing is, we have a lot of, Jesus commanded us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We have a lot of peace lovers. Peace lovers who would love there to be peace, but aren't willing to go out and make peace. And Jesus didn't command us to be people who love peace and who wish peace wishers. He commanded us to be peacemakers, people who take the initiative. I'll draw you a picture that makes it very clear. Every conflict is summarized by this picture. Someone has to turn around first. And I know people, and so do you, and I hope it's not you, that have been back-to-back for years. You get two stubborns, two stubborn people back-to-back, back-to-back for years, each waiting for the other one. Well, I will when he does, and I will when she does. You can live your whole life. I always think back to the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned. What was the first response of Adam and Eve to sin? They hid. They hid themselves. They realized they were naked. Uh Uh-oh, we did a boo-boo. God is going to get us. Let's hide behind the tree. Not thinking that God created the tree and he's God. So God can see through the tree and and they're hiding from God. Let me ask you this question. Here's God. There's the people hiding behind the tree. Who should take the initiative? Who should open the subject? Who should? They should. They sin. I'm God. I didn't sin. They sin. Come say sorry. That's what's right. They sin. They should say sorry. I didn't didn't do nothing wrong. I gave them everything. Ingrates. They should be coming here, and they should say sorry. And if they beg me for forgiveness, I'll forgive them. Maybe. Is that what God did? What did God do? God took the initiative. God said, They're going to hide behind that dumb tree for the rest of their life. 
And God knows, God knows, if God didn't go find them, we'd all be behind a tree right now somewhere. Right? If God didn't come look for us, we'd all be behind a tree somewhere. And God said, I take the initiative. I didn't do anything wrong, but I will take the initiative to solve this problem. Because this problem is my responsibility to solve. If it is possible, as much as depends on me. If it is possible, as much as depends on me, it is my responsibility to resolve this conflict. So I ask you, what's the elephant in the relationship that each one is not willing to address? What's the hurt? Is it a trust thing? Is it a comment that was made? Is it a decision that one person made and the other person? Like, what is it? What is it? Stalemate. And I'm not willing to budge. And if they want, they come talk to me. Especially if you remember last week, I talked about the different ways that we express anger. If you're a mute or you're a manipulator, then you got to be very, very careful of this. If you're a machine gun, hey, don't worry, okay? That's the blessing of having a machine gun next to you, is that you, uh, the issues will be out there, okay? They'll make sure that everybody knows the issues. I'll tell you all a true story. I'll tell you all about a true story. And like I said, me, my personality, okay, and I'm going to ask my wife's forgiveness in advance. She can see when I get, I can see that look in her face. She knows I'm about to tell a story about us. Okay. <laughs> One of the worst periods ever in our marriage. That's a great way to start a story with your wife right there, isn't it? That's the best way you start a story, okay? One of the worst periods ever, I would say the worst period in our marriage ever, was early on in our marriage, something that we commonly refer to as the three-month period, right? The three-month period, because that's like it has to, when it's bad, bad, it has a title, okay? It has a chapter heading. And the three-month period, we look back on it right now, and we were so dumb. Something very dumb happened, very dumb. So dumb that honestly, I honestly don't remember what it was. I don't remember what it was. Something dumb, but we disagreed, and we didn't resolve it. And neither one of us was willing to budge. And I was convinced that I was right, and she was convinced that she was right. Oh, now I remember what it was. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was right in the end, I think I was, right? <laughs> no, just joking. Doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't matter, because the issue was nothing. The issue was that neither one of us was willing to budge. And she thought, and I thought, and we discussed, and we fought, and we argued. And then it came a point in time. Remember, I'm a mute, and I'm a manipulator. So my muteness and my manipulatorness set in. So I said, the worst thing you could say in any marriage, fine. Fine. Okay, you're right. Okay, you're right. But where was I? Checked out. Okay, fine. And I made it my goal. The muteness in me, just keep it inside. That's right. Just bury it in there. The manipulator in me, okay, watch. Watch what's going to happen now. <laughs> and I, from that moment in time, I just started to be a little bit more distant. A little bit more distant. And like I said last week, you take a few shots every now and then, but you, me, I'm smart. I never fired so much that I was ever in the wrong. And then she would say, hey, something's wrong. And I'd say, no, nothing's wrong. What's wrong? There's nothing wrong. Something wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with me. Everything's fine. And we just started to go distant and distant. And because she is in tune with, like, because women are relationally in tune, okay, she could tell. Said, something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. And I just kept, I dodged it. You know, when you dodge, I dodged everything. 
And we need to, no, no, this, 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 that. And what about this? Um, uh, and you remember, at that time, I even said, let's have kids. Okay, during that time, because I just wanted to dodge the, whatever other issue. Okay, let's just have some kids. Okay, one, two, it doesn't matter. However many you want. Okay, let's just have kids. One of the worst periods in our marriage. And the worst part is, it was over absolutely nothing. And it could have, if we didn't resolve it, which we did. Don't worry, everything's fine now. Okay. Something which started as nothing could have cost us everything. What that period taught me, you know how they say time heals all wounds? Time heals all wounds? I couldn't disagree more with that. Because time just pushed me further and further. And luckily, I have a great wife, but she wouldn't allow that. Okay? Because if she was a mutant and manipulator too, she'd have gone far the way too, and we'd be now standing on the opposite side, back to back, and each one blaming the other one in our minds. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time makes wounds. If I got a cut and it's bleeding, time will heal all wounds. No, time will probably make it worse. Okay? If I don't solve it and I don't stitch it up, it's probably going to get from bad to worse pretty quickly. And that's what happens in so many relationships. I can't tell you how many relationships I know of that are standing on the opposite sides of the room fighting over the dumbest thing and they don't even remember. We got to take the initiative. Someone has to take the initiative. Someone has to turn around and say, hey, this isn't right. I don't want this. You don't want this. Like, we need to do that in our families. Someone needs to say, we got a, a, a problem here, and we gotta, someone got to deal with it. Someone needs to say that in our churches. Say, why, why, why are we fighting with him? What's wrong? What's the problem? Someone needs to say that in all these conflicts that are going on around the world. Someone needs to take initiative and say, I am going to be a peacemaker. Not a peace wisher upon her. Not a peace prayer for a person. I'm going to be a peacemaker. And I'm going to say, what's the situation and what's wrong? The mindset that Jesus had of peacemaking is the same mindset that we need to have in all of our conflicts. If not, small becomes bigger. Bigger becomes more bigger. More bigger becomes everlasting. Annoyance, anger, resentment, bitterness, I hate your guts. Inevitable. Someone has to turn around and take initiative. Is that easy or not easy? Is there anything in this world that you and I hate more than doing that? Confronting someone? Taking that step? I started to think about it. Why is it so hard? Well, first of all, let me say this. As I say, it's hard to confront someone. It's not easy to go and take that initiative. Some of you would say, no, I like to take the initiative. If you do, you have another problem. You might be a bully. Anyone who is excited to confront should never, ever confront. And that's actually my rule, is that whenever I'm excited to confront someone with their sin and their, and their mistake, you should not confront. Because then you're a bully, and the worst kind of bully is the spiritual bully. Jesus wouldn't do this if he was you. Then you're the worst kind of bully. Why is it 
that we hate to confront? Why is it? Like, let's be honest. It's easier to not confront and to just, I feel like what it is, is that when I open up, I make myself vulnerable. I make myself vulnerable. And if I say, okay, you know what? Peace. But that person's still firing. Like, I just open myself to enemy territory. So it's easier, you know what? Just stay protected. Okay? Play it safe. Don't open yourself up until you're sure that she's waved the flag and then it's safe. Okay? The problem is, is that doing so, if you don't have someone there who's going to take that initiative, like I said, y'all end up spending years in this kind of conflict unresolved for no reason when both of the people are desiring the same result. We cannot allow fear of confrontation. Okay, and we're going to talk about the how. Right now we're still talking about the what. But we can't let the fear stop us from doing what we know we need to do. You know what overcomes fear? There's only one thing that overcomes fear. Bible tells us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. How do you get past the feeling of, I don't want to, or it's difficult? Only one way is love. Love for the person and love for the father of the person. You know how love casts out fear? You know how that works? Imagine you see, you know, like a burning building. And you see someone, like everyone backing up from the burning building, and someone full of courage runs in there. You say, wow, that person had no fear. You know why? Two minutes later, you see him run out carrying a baby. Love casts out fear. No baby, no love, no courage. And we need to have that kind of love for our relationships, for our churches, for our families, for our marriages, for our kids, that we would run into a burning building and say, I'm not going to allow this relationship to burn to the ground. I will do something about it. I will take the initiative, no matter how difficult and scary it might be. That's the strategy. Take the initiative. Now we want to get to the steps and get to the practical. But again, the practical only works if the strategy is right. If you think, because sometimes we do, I'm just going to do this, 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 and this, and then I did what was on me, and that person, I'll say to God, I did my part. It's not like that. If the mindset isn't right, the mindset is the 90, the how, like the what is 90, the, the no, yeah, the what is 90, the how is the 10. Like we get so focused on the 10 that we forget the 90. I'm telling you, if you got the 90 down, the 10 is just some tips and some, and some strategies from the Bible, some, some, some things like that. But the most important is that 90. So now at some point in time, what do we do? Five steps, and I'll go through these pretty quickly. Number one, plan a meeting. Plan a sit-down meeting. You said in your mind, I got to do something. What is it that I got to do? Plan a meeting. Forgive me, especially all the emotional people. Okay, forgive me. I'm going to be very logical with some of these steps, especially this one. Not because emotions aren't important, but emotions sometimes cloud issues. And emotions, the problem is there's an issue, and the issue isn't an issue. The problem is the emotions about the issue that escalated. So the optimum is if we can deal with the issue, and then we'll deal with the emotions after. But when the two become convoluted, especially like 
like maybe some of the men in the room, like we get very confused, okay? And we, it becomes like the, the spaghetti analogy, okay? Like it's everything's connected to everything. Like when does this noodle start and this noodle end? Like it's all just kind of wrapped in there and then we just, it becomes overload for us. So first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna logically, sort of mechanically, okay? It might seem mechanical, but we're gonna plan a time to sit down and we're going to discuss. We're not going to discuss whose fault it is we're not going to talk about I hate you or you hate me. We are going to talk about the issue at hand. Important thing with planning the meeting, and the most important thing about any meeting is the right time. That timing is so oh, oh so important, isn't it? Do you know, in American households today, when do the majority of fights happen between a husband and a wife? What time of day? Right before dinner. Why? Because when this ain't right, don't expect this to be working right. When this thing ain't right, it's not the time to bring up issues and discussions and stuff like that. I would say the worst time to bring up serious issues is before eating and before sleeping. Because especially like when we're tired, like when we're tired is not the time to say we need to talk. That is the recipe for a disaster in so many marriages and households. When is the best time to talk? The best time to talk is when both people are ready to listen, not talk. You may both be ready to talk today, but if you ain't both ready to listen, it ain't the right time to talk. The right time is when both people are ready to listen. And again, so many problems could be avoided if, okay, well, this one's ready, but this one's not ready. So this one coming is only going to make the matter worse. Find the right time. How important is this? Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Look what it said. You understand what Jesus is saying right here? You know what Jesus is saying here today? Some of you shouldn't be in church today. Some of you shouldn't be here today. You should be outside today, reconciling with your brother. Because if you came here today and not you had something against your brother, it said your brother had something against you, what's the difference? Meaning you may think everything is fine, but your brother is all upset. And your brother is all upside down. It is your duty to leave your gift and then go and make reconciliation. When Jesus said to leave your gift, you know what they used to do? They used to come bring an offering, okay? And he would say, like, that was their worship, to bring an offering. And Jesus said, I don't want the offering. Go make reconciliation. Now, with that said, what every church finance person and treasurer will be first to note in this is that when he said to leave, he said to leave your gift there in the church, okay? So you can leave the gift, okay? You leave the offering, go make reconciliation, but the offering stays, okay? It's the Bible. It's not me. I'm just it's what the Bible says. The point is, what Jesus is saying here is that harmony is more important than worship. Reconciliation is more important than worship. You say, worship is the No, Jesus says, no, no, no. There's something more important than you worshiping me. Just go making reconciliation and then coming to me. First step, balls in your court. Take initiative, 
set a meeting. Invite that person to lunch. Set up a time where you can talk. Plan a meeting. What's the first thing you do when you get to the meeting? Confess my part. I confess. A delayed reaction, but it gets there. It gets there. I put a lot of effort in finding these pictures, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Like I said in week one, before we look out the mirror, I'm sorry, before we look out the window, we're going to look in the mirror. We're going to have a chance where we're going to address, but first, we need to confess our part. Is there ever a conflict that is 100% the fault of another person? As much as I've tried to convince my wife the answer is yes, the answer is not yes. It may be 90% their fault, but if there's 10% your fault, you start by confessing the 10%. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He draws a picture for us. Someone with a big stick in their eye and someone with a little speck. Is that person at fault for their speck? Yes. But you got something in your own eye. And before you can address that, you got to confess this. It's like someone told me something the other day that they were driving on, uh, on 395 in the HOV lanes or whatever it is. And there was a little Prius. Okay, and had all these stickers on clean air and clean air and clean air, and there was four people stuffed inside, and three out of the four were smoking. Exactly. Like, it's ridiculous. And that's what happens so many times. Now we're, like, we're ridiculous. We're sitting there, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, and we're sitting there smoking away. Before you address the other person's faults, ask yourself, am I being ungrateful? Am I being unrealistic? Am I being insensitive? Am I being overly sensitive? Ask yourself, what fault did I make? There's no such thing as a problem, which is 100% the other, other person. Let's say I got a log in my eye. You got a log in your eye. And you got a log and you got a log. And you know what happens if you got a stream and the too many logs? You get a log jam. You know how you break a log jam? Any woodsman here with us today? Okay. You have to get something very powerful, like they would get like dynamite or something like that, something very powerful. Boom. You know what the pow most powerful force in any relationship is that breaks up any log jam? Humility. Love, yes, but love is, is lo I always feel like love has many things under it. Love is gentle, love is kind, love is humble. Humility. Humility, watch, I'll show you. You hate my guts and I hate, you think I hate your guts, and we're ready to fight. And I come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry. My bad. Forgive me. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm probably sorry kind of too. Humility can't be touched. Humility is the most powerful thing. That's why Jesus on the cross, devil couldn't touch him. Humility. Humility wins every time. No matter what the conflict is. You go the route of humility, you go the route down, you win every time. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Which of the two, if you're going to take initiative... It's not going to happen, that resolution, until someone goes down. And that down, boom, makes explosion, and logs start going flying. 
Number three, after you have confessed your part, you are now ready to listen. But as I said last week, and I said it the week before, and I say it every week for the rest of this series, is you're not listening just for words and facts. You're listening for emotions and hurt. Because the truth of the matter is, every person who is hurting you is probably doing so because they themselves have been hurt, either by someone else or maybe by you. As I've been saying this every week, someone told me, you know, that whole listen to emotions thing. I'm lucky. There's a lady saying, I'm lucky. I don't have to because my husband has no emotions. He has no feelings. He's no emotions. Look, here's what I discovered as a pretty, not the most emotional person in the whole wide world. All right. We are not robots. We express our hurt in different ways than you ladies. Do you know how we express hurt? With logic. Lots and lots of logic. Instead of telling you, you hurt my feelings, I will tell you seven points as to why you are wrong. And I will give you charts and maps and diagrams to show you and explain to you why, is what I tell my wife, okay? She says, you hurt my feelings. I say, you hurt my logic. And I feel like if you can hurt someone's feelings, you can hurt someone's logic. It's the same thing. It's just because we're not man enough to say, you hurt my feelings. Because it just kind of sounds, you know, not very, you know what I mean? Like, you hurt my feelings. But the truth is that we have feelings. And whoever you are, you think your wife is cold-blooded. Or you think your husband is cold-blooded, okay? He's not cold-blooded. He just expresses it different than you. He'll never say he's emotional. He'll never admit that he's hurt. But when you start to see him being overly logical, oftentimes it's because... His feelings got hurt, and he just doesn't know how to handle it. So he goes super logical. We need to listen to some advice from James, chapter 1, verse 19. So then, I'm telling you, this verse, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, or slow to wrath. If you, need to, if you struggle in your relationships, memorize this verse. It's so easy. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Easy, right? Say it with me. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Again, let every man be. One more time. Let every man be. That's it. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Be swift to hear. Like the little doggy, the little doggy, you got two ears, one mouth. Run fast, quick to listen. And not just listen for facts, listen for emotions. Listen, listen, listen. Keep, keep this guy, the mouth, slow down the mouth. And it's going to solve, like, I don't want to say what percentage, but so many, so many hours of counseling could be resolved if everyone were to commit to James 1.19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Number four. Now, okay, so we set it up. We took the initiative. We started by, oh, excuse me, before you start, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm here to confess my part. I'm here because what I did then, I just put all the defenses down. This person, we have this meeting, and they're thinking I'm coming to swing, and they're ready to swing back. Hey, 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 before we start, I'm just coming to say, I'm sorry for this and this and this. I confess. Now I'm ready to listen to what you have to say. I'm listening for the hurt. Now it's time for you to fire back. When you fire back, you speak truthfully and lovingly. Now we get to the part where you can open your mouth, and you can express whatever it is that you want to express. But it must be truthful. And it must be loving. Mercy and truth. The two must go hand in hand. 
truth without love isn't from God. It's not allowed. The only place you can use truth, like you're not supposed to use truth as a club to beat someone over the head. Only on the internet, okay, is where you're supposed to do that. Okay, but in real life, okay, face-to-face relationships, you're not, it's not just truth, 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 truth. Truth must be mixed with love. Because that's how God deals with us. God is always right, and we are always wrong. But God doesn't beat us over the head with it. So what were you thinking last week? What's wrong with you? You did that. God doesn't do that. God says, it's okay. It's okay. Let me tell you. Hey, you know what? I understand you're hurt, but you shouldn't have done this. Oh, no, God, but um, just trust me. You shouldn't have done this. You need to repent. He's loving. He's gentle. He's, he's great. We need to be that same way. Proverbs twelve eighteen, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know that you have all been on the receiving end of these swords, haven't you? You know what reckless words can do. The piercing of a sharp word. And we've all felt the pain of it. Well, I'm telling you, I don't want you or me to be the thrower of the swords. Because we all know what it feels like to be the receiver. And the bottom line is, as it says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Not only your sharp words are hurtful, but I believe they're ineffective. Would you agree that when I am blasting you and per- taking it, making it personal, you are probably less likely to listen to what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm shooting myself in the foot. By, by, by being harsh, you are making sure the other person is not going to hear anything that you're saying. We need to learn that in order to be persuasive, we cannot be abrasive. And when you are at your most abrasive, you are your least persuasive. Truth with no love, resisted, defensive. Truth with love, embraced and accepted. Colossians 3 verse 8. You must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Remember? A few months ago, for those of you here, we did a series on marriage called Happily Ever After. And in it, we talked about how to fight fair. And we talked about rules of warfare. We said if countries can agree on certain things, like no women and children, then we, in our marriages, have to be able to agree how to fight fair. And I think that applies to all relationships, not just marriages. But there has to be rules of warfare. No matter how much you want to throw stuff at each other, there has to be rules. And the rules are these, Colossians 3.8. If you all struggle... In a relationship, if it's your marriage and y'all kind of go outside the boundaries, go Colossians 3.8. Post it up on your fridge and let each one commit that there will be no anger, no rage, no malice, no slander, no filthy language. Anger, rage is bullying. That if I raise my voice and I get angry, then I'll just motivate you in a wrong way to do what I want. Anger, it's bullying. Malice is like, that's that manipulator. That's like maybe a nice word, but with a sharp point. Like it's, a, it's something that was designed to hurt. Slanders where you start to get insulting and slurs and names and belittling and all that kind of stuff. And filthy language just kind of encompasses, encompasses all the other. What, what should we do? Here's another good verse for you. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ask yourself before you fire Is what I'm about to say going to help reach resolution? Going to help this conflict? Or is it going to make it worse? If it's going to make it worse, 
find a nicer way to express it, okay? To impart grace. Last step, and this kind of ties it all together. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. What's the difference between reconciliation and resolution? What does resolution focus on? The issue. What does reconciliation focus on? The relationship. See how that works? The goal is not to agree on every issue. It's not. If that's your goal, you're never going to find reconciliation in your relationships. Because there isn't anyone in the entire universe. Talk about incompatibility. There isn't anyone in the universe that thinks like you and that acts like you and that likes what you like and that grew up the way you grew up. There isn't anyone in the universe. The goal isn't to make everyone agree that I'm right and that my opinion on everything is right. The goal is that we can disagree, but we don't need to be disagreeable. The goal is, I read this nice quote one time, that we can walk hand in hand even if we don't necessarily see eye to eye. That's the goal, is that we have reconciliation in our relationships and not that we solve all the problems on planet Earth and we make sure that we all think the same way. The challenge for you is to focus, especially if you are an issue person, is to sometimes realize that there are some issues that aren't worth the relationship. The relationship is my priority, restoring this relationship. And that may mean that sometimes i got to let go of an issue. i got to let go of controlling everything in my house the way exactly I want it. i got to let go of trying to change that person, make them just like me. i got to let go of this issue in order to hold on to this relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us. Now it's our job to carry on that ministry of reconciliation to the world. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know what this verse says? This verse says that you have a job in the world. You are to be an agent of reconciliation. You are to be a peacemaker in a world full of hate and anger and conflict and prejudice and all kinds of problems. Your job is to make reconciliation. You not solve all the world's problems, but you're going to go into your house and you are an agent of reconciliation in this house. Mother, brother, father, sister, whatever it is. You're going to go into your workplace and your job is to be an agent of reconciliation as if Jesus himself is there. You're an ambassador. You carry on that mission. He said, I'm coming to the world to make reconciliation. Now I'm going up to heaven to prepare a place for you, but you guys, you do my job while I'm gone. I'll be back. You do my job. You make reconciliation. And each one of us, our challenge for today, our challenge for today is to take this commission of being an ambassador of Christ, an agent for reconciliation, and to leave those doors and any relationship and take the initiative to make peace, to make reconciliation. Not focused so much only on the issue, but focused on the relationship. Greatest thing that you can do, the most Christ-like thing that you can do is be a bridge builder between you and others, and then connecting them to God. Too many people in the world are wall builders. But Jesus came down to this earth, and he saw some people, and he did this exact step. He said, you know what, I need to plan time to go down there. How about 
year zero. Perfect timing. Nice even number. I'll go down there year zero. And I went down. He didn't confess his part because he didn't have anything to confess, but he lived that life of humility. Okay? He lived the life of humility to the utmost. He was obedient to his parents. He was, like, submissive to them. He was the most humble. He could have blasted people anytime he wanted to. Any rude person in the street, traffic, he could have moved them on the side, part seas. Like, he could know whatever it is that he wanted. Lived a life of humility. And then he listened for hurt. He didn't say, you, Samaritan woman, you're an adulteress. Get out of here. He said, what's wrong? Oh, I see. You're hurt. I feel for you. I feel your pain. I know you're only acting this way because you're hurt. And I know that if I can solve that hurt and I can feel that, that you, Samaritan woman, you'll be the greatest woman to ever walk the planet Earth. You'll be the greatest. You, Mary Magdalene, everyone looks at you and says, demon-possessed. But I know you. I can look past that. I know you just in captivity, like, to the, to, to the bad stuff. It's not your fault. See how he looked past the sins and he could see the hurt inside? And then he reached out and he spoke truthfully and lovingly. He spoke the truth. Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Like, he spoke the truth, but no one ever said he's mean. No one ever left Jesus feeling anything other than overwhelmingly loved by his gentleness. And then finally, he sought reconciliation. That was his mission. One thing was that you and me, not even side, I forget side by side, uh, you and me, reconciled together forever. This is our charge that we leave with. Matthew 5, 9. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They will be called children of God. It will always be more rewarding to reconcile a relationship than to dissolve a relationship. But it will also always be more difficult. The easy thing to do is quit. Irreconcilable differences incompatibility he's a jerk she's a jerk that's the easy thing to do but that's not what god is calling us to do you want to be christ on earth and you take it as your personal mission to be an agent of reconciliation like i challenge everyone like to really pray about that this week and see if there's any phone calls that need to be made any meetings that need to be had any confessions that need to be confessed. Any listening that we need to get down to it and say, not what are you saying, but what are you saying? I challenge you, and may God help us all, that we can have peace in our relationships. All right, guys? Let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you. For looking at us, Lord, with such eyes of love and coming all the way down here to reconcile us to you, even though we weren't worthy and even though we had all kinds of problems. I pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with real, genuine love, love for you and love for our brothers and our sisters, that we can go fill this world with the spirit of reconciliation. Lord, we can't solve all the problems of the world, but if each one of us, like, solves one problem, and can turn one household into a household of love. Lord, the possibilities are endless for what you could do. So I pray, Lord, that you would, you would fill us really with your love, a divine love, not a human love, that we can carry this, this message and this, this challenge and this commission to 
all the ends of the earth that we go back to. Bless each person here, Lord, every family, every friendship, every relationship, Lord, that may be weighing people down right now. I pray that you would help people to find peace and reconciliation in those relationships. I ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys, and I'll see you all next weekend.